We're in the fourth and final week of a series we titled Riding the Rails. It's the idea that just as a train track stays on the rails that we're looking to live and keep relationships on track. And so in this series, we've looked at how we interact with each other. In the last uh, two weeks, last week we looked at kind of how not to handle conflict. This week we're going to look at how we can handle it and what's a good way to engage in it. And, and I'll just uh, disclose this as we begin. We all come from different environments of how we even think about conflict. Uh, I grew up not enjoying conflict. I didn't like it. I was a peacemaker. I didn't want things to get conflicted. In fact, I learned somewhat in my family to make jokes just to cope, to kind of lighten the mood. So my first job out of my undergraduate work was uh, as a clinical social worker. I worked with these teenagers that were in really dire circumstances, severely sexually and physically abused, oftentimes multiple addictive issues, all sorts of family disparity and separation and things. So you go into this environment and you think, I'm going to help them. That's what I'm here for. And they're going to be thankful. That was not the case. Not only were the kids I was trying to help not thankful, but their parents were often extremely combative. And I found out that if my role was to actually have an enjoyable life, it was not going to be without conflict. So I was thrust into this environment where I had to deal with conflict, whether I liked it or not. And it was really difficult. Now, I tell you that because I think for many of us, conflict has its own kind of story and it's difficult for us to consider. So I'm asking you just to engage with me. Now, in the series, what we've done is we've looked at a letter written by a man named James, who's a brother of Jesus. This particular letter is kind of a putting together of a lot of James' best wisdom given all over the Roman environment where the Jews were to give them some wisdom as early Christ followers. And so it's not written as a formulaic letter. Oftentimes the letters are written where there's an understanding of theology and principle and then practice follows. This is just a lot of wisdom throughout it. And so we've been in just a couple of verses for these four weeks. In case you haven't been here, we've been in James chapter 1. And he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, in the first week, we looked at this idea of what's this mean to be quick to listen. If you weren't here for any other part of the series, you can go back online. The second week, we looked at what it meant. And you can see kind of the formula of this is to really engage first in understanding, then be careful in terms of how we communicate. And the last piece is how we engage when life is difficult, what we call conflict. That's where anger comes up. James goes on to caution us later in the letter. He says, what causes these fights and quarrels among you? And he gives some convictional statements. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? In other words, the things we often can get into conflict over are things that we create in our own desire to have it and have it now. He goes on, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, while this may have happened some, he means this as hyperbole. He's speaking about the fact that we go after each other hostily when we're not happy. You covet, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. You've forgotten to bring God into this equation. And then he even goes to motivation. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, you ask to make it about you. And so last week, we looked from the confrontation side at the things we tend to do that kind of pour into us that we build our own lives up at the expense of others. 
This week, we want to look at the good side of this. What might God want to teach us? What might the early church have understood in how we navigate our differences and difficulties? So with this, I want to go just to one simple verse. It's a letter that Paul, who's one of our earliest church leaders, writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says this. I think it gets at, it's just said many different times in different ways. But he's talking about living worthy as a follower of Jesus. And he says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. By the way, in another section, he actually says, bear with each other and forgive each other. That's a part of how we interact in our differences. But then he says this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What I want us to understand is where we want to get to when there's conflict. And it's this simple word, peace. And make no mistake, peace is not the absence of conflict. For many of us that would say we're peacemakers, what we really are is people pleasers and we don't want anybody to be upset, so we find ways around it. It's not the same thing. The biblical mindset of peace is shalom, and it's not simply the absence of strife, it's the presence of completeness, of connectedness, of restoration. In other words, peace means that we're right with each other, not that we're absent of conflict. So I want to be really clear, what we're aiming for in healthy conflict is peace. In fact, Jesus says this in his famous, even if you haven't been around the church, called Sermon on the Mount, you may have heard quotes from it. One of them is, blessed are the peacemakers. These peacemakers are the people who are the sons and daughters of God. They're the call of what Jesus has for us. In case you aren't familiar with this, Paul in another letter writes to us about our mission. He calls us ambassadors in Christ. And he very simply says this, God reconciled us to him. That's the work of Jesus. His life and death and resurrection is an image of him paying the price for the breakdown in our relationship that we cause. And the resurrection is new life out of it. It's called reconciling. We're restored to him. But then he says our job is to bring the ministry of reconciliation to those around us, to bring peace, to bring wholeness, to bring life. Now, I want to say that because I think we can lose sight of what conflict is intended to be, and make no mistake, peacemaking is on the other side of conflict. It doesn't happen because we just get along. The only way you'll find peace that way is if you find people who agree with you about everything in every way, or they're just timid enough to let you decide, or you're timid enough to let them decide. But you understand that's not true peace. It's one of my heartbreaks in the life of the church these days, and even in the life of families and relationships, we tend to only want to relate to people who think just like us. So make no mistake, how we handle conflict is very important. And what I want to do is build some kind of understanding for us on this. And part of it is because the church typically teaches a very simple metaphor for honoring conflict or a simple construct. And it's the one that Jesus gives and is followed in the New Testament when there's sin involved. Jesus says when there's sin involved, you go to the person who sinned, you confront them, and if they respond, things are great. If they don't, you bring another person who's seen it and you confront them together. If that doesn't work, bring in the elders and try to, in a caring way, confront what is destructive in their lives. Now, we've used that metaphor for how we deal in every conflict, but there's a problem. Just because they disagree with you does not mean they sinned and does not mean you're right. Let me just let that sink for a minute because most of us don't see it that way. 
in conflict, there's not right and wrong oftentimes. There's difference of perspective. So what we want to say is we understand how to deal with it in sin, but how do we deal with it when relationship is broken and we have disagreement? So with this, I want to use a metaphor of an iceberg, and I want to walk you through some things to help you understand this better. And it's fairly broad. I I want to give you a deeper understanding of this, and there's a lot I need to cover, but I, I hope it will be helpful to you. So with this in mind, I want you to think of the fact that you understand with an iceberg, all we see is the very top of it, and there's much beneath the iceberg. In fact, most of its mass is below where we see. It's very true with conflict the same way. So when there's a conflict, we'll just say this is the conflict up here, what we can see. There's a lot beneath the surface that feeds this. So I wanna use three different things that feed it. One is what we'd say is our own families growing up. And so in this thing, we have, basically think of how your own family either is dealing or dealt with conflict. So I'm gonna give you some generalizations. It doesn't mean your family did all of these or did it this way. One of them is, and I'll just use these words, silence. I'll explain them in just a minute. Violence, and it doesn't mean physical violence. It could even be anger. In fact, that's more commonly what it is, though it can lead to physicality. And, And then what we'll call avoidance. And I'll get back to that. And then the final one I talk about is vomiting. Yes, vomiting, I'll explain it in a minute. So these are common patterns in family. So what happens is silence is someone does something offensive and there's no confrontation, but have you ever been treated in cold, stone cold silence? And the message is clear, you will fix this, you will make it up. And when you've done enough or paid enough, maybe I'll be nice again. Now the second one though is violence. And what it means typically is anger wins, the louder voice wins the day. Now. There were a lot of great things in my family, but one of them, my dad had the strongest, loudest voice. And in fact, he did a thing that I called crescendo swearing, um, which I won't use the words, but what it meant was he started low and it got louder and faster. So, and once he got to the final phrase, we were done. We knew dad won, it's over. So we learned loud wins, I'll quiet down. You see how you get that, right? Avoidance is, in a lot of families, it basically we don't talk and never address conflict. It just sits there, but we pretend like it's not there. It never happened. Plenty of us do that. The vomiting is the one I'll, I'll explain, probably not as clear. It doesn't mean you actually physically vomit, but I think of vomiting as, in some families, we articulate our frustrations. Everybody blasts what they want when they want. It could be loud, it could be soft, but once it's all vomited out, it's the end of it. Now, nothing gets resolved, but somehow people feel the immediate pressure released from vomiting, and we just move on. Regardless of what pattern it is, what I want you to see is every family has some way we deal with conflict that we bring it into our adult lives. You tracking with me so far? Then that moves us to the next piece, which is our adult interaction. So we'll just say kind of currently leading up to our patterns. And what we have is we have our own patterns. We have patterns that we cultivate perhaps at work, patterns in marriage, family. And what this typically does, uh, and in family too, is this builds ways of interacting and oftentimes, if not dealt with, leaves lots of unresolved pieces. And so what we call this, and where this can affect us, is we call that we can have allergies and triggers. And I'll explain that to you and what I mean by this. And it can go all the way back to the original family too, but 
what this means is something happens here in a conflict, and in this conflict, something bigger from the past awakens in us. Maybe from our current past, maybe from our growing up years. So I'll use this outside of conflict. Uh, I, when I was in social work, I dealt with a lot of kids who'd been through a lot of pain and rejection and suffering. And anytime they had a loss currently, they went back and relived the unresolved pain and suffering. So the idea is sometimes in a current conflict, these past things bubble up. Have you ever had a reaction that seems stronger than you should have in a situation? So, so I'll give you one. When, when we were raising kids, um, for whatever reason, both growing up and even in my early adult life, I had a very intense reaction if I felt disrespected or devalued or rejected. Those three things, any one of those. Now, you know that teenage kids, respect is not high on their how do I communicate parent list, right? So imagine one of my kids is just normally being a little bit disrespectful, but the, my reaction is intensely strong and uh, I blow up. I overreact, I make it much bigger, and they look at me like, um, I just wasn't agreeing with you now. When did I never respect you? Do you get the picture? I'm just trying to give you a picture of how these things play out. Now let me give you one more, and it goes to today, of what's going on in the day. Because we often miss this even in conflict. Stress affects how you respond to the conflict of the day. Energy, meaning how your energy is overall. And we'll add to that sleep, and then any other experiences of the day. So, let's just say at work, I've had a few things that stirred up for me that weren't big to address conflicts, but they triggered some past things, they remind me of things that weren't healthy, but I kind of managed them till I got home. But then I got home and one little thing happened. Do you know that whole day's building affected how I responded to that one thing? Because in the day, I'm not doing so well. Or let me give it to you another way. Do you know that when any of you who are raising children at any point in time, you realize that sleep becomes questionable, right? Did you know that you are actually unreasonable when you don't sleep? I'm just going to tell you it in case you don't know. You aren't rational when you don't sleep. Do you realize that impacts how you handle conflict, right? I want you to see how these things affect. And by the way, picture things like stress. If you are constantly, for example, in a financial trouble and you're in stress, you know that your conflict elevation goes up. You get the picture of this? So we use these wonderful and true statements about being a Christian, but we miss all of this stuff beneath the surface that's affecting us. So I just wanted you to get a picture of that to start with. Then I want to give you another side of this, because we live in an ocean that we call sin. It's the climate we're in, meaning our own lives and the lives of those of us around us. We describe sin as both what's done to us through the brokenness and mess of the world and what we do to others in our own brokenness. In fact, if we go all the way back to the garden, the first time that there's conflict is when Adam and Eve sin, and guess what they do? This is how they respond to the conflict. They blame, and they shame. Eve blames the snake, Adam blames Eve, and God, by the way, the woman you gave me. Not a real bright move in how you go about handling conflict. And then we also live in pain, by the way, because of the pain that's brought to us. So I want you to understand when we're dealing with conflict, we're in this ocean of these things. Now, here's what happens as a Christ follower. We go, well, we're made new. Jesus is doing a work in us and changing us. Very true. Ephesians 2.20 talks about how we are new in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Here's the difficulty. That's true, but it is an instant 
and it doesn't make this stuff just go away. I, I want you really to get this because it's one of the problems we have in the church. We start talking about conflict and we treat it like, hey, I've been having quiet time. I'm reading my Bible. God's teaching me. Why am I still having conflict? It must be the person next to me who's not godly. And we dismiss. You understand God wants to bring newness to all of this. And this is a process, not a moment for most of us. So I want to give you two things and then I'm going to walk through an actual conflict, kind of a, a way to think about it but I wanted you to get a bigger picture. Two things that I find are really essential in conflict. One is confession. I, I, I want you to understand this. You will make mistakes and you will be hurtful in conflict to others. Just, just I want you to say this, I'll make mistakes. Go ahead. I will hurt people. Now I'm not giving you cart to do this on purpose, but I want you to understand we do not do well at these things a lot of times. And I don't know if you realize it, but our simple ability to go, God, help me, I'm so sorry. That is huge in addressing conflict. And I'll tell you why it makes the other person feel safe. And it's the godly way that he changes us. You know, that's why we do things like confession in the services. That's why John writes things like, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and he wants to cleanse you and change you. But we deny, we don't confess. And the second is very simply asking for help. The second part is that, did you know the Holy Spirit wants to help you? In a conflict to go, man, my emotions are getting stronger. There's a lot going on right now. I don't think I'm, pro Holy Spirit, will you help me? Please help me. And that's also the role of other people, by the way, around you. Help me see what's going on. I just want you to see some simple handles that we can grab because we can't do this alone. And while we're being made new, we're still in the midst of this mess of sin and all of these things inform us, our early development, our patterns of adulthood, and today. All go into how we see conflict. Now I wanna give you one, a couple specific things to how we address this individually within it, with someone in a conflict. Let me say it to you this way. When we're having a conflict... There is my perspective. Now, one thing I want you to realize is just like the top of the iceberg, you realize you don't see the whole thing, right? You're so quiet. I know it's because you're deeply attentive, but let me just say this again. You realize you don't see the whole thing, right? Okay, good, good. So we have our perspective. Now, I want to help you see what informs this. And I'm not going to go over again these past things that do, but let me tell you some things that deeply impact. And they basically create a path to the journey and the, what we think is the issue now. And there are three specific things. We have our observations, meaning what we see and hear that's been going on that create the conflict and how we perceive it. We have our own thoughts about it, how we assess it, and what conclusions we draw. And we draw them, by the way. And we have our own feelings meaning our emotions inform how we see this. So I want you to see all of these because of, if we don't understand all of this, we don't know why we get to where we do. So just for example, uh, some of us don't like to feel or we act like we don't have feelings. Some of us actually think we're Vulcans. I don't know if you don't know, but Vulcans had this whole thing where they just thought. Thinking and logic were above feelings. And just to be clear with you, it's not true. None of you are Vulcan. I've been checking your ears. I haven't seen any of you do a mind meld. It's not working. Every one of us have emotions. But if you don't know what you feel and you don't know how to feel, then it still informs even though you think it doesn't. 
So for some of you here today, part of it might be a pursuit of how you feel. Do I actually begin to know how I'm feeling in a moment? Because part of that is God meeting me in the emotion. And by the way, the feeling will tell you things. Like if you feel rejected or you feel sad or you feel violated or you feel, you'll start to understand why is that. Now in the same way, my time's up already, isn't it? I'm just kidding. Thoughts, don't say yes, by the way. Thoughts mean how you perceive it, what you're concluding about what you're feeling and what you're observing. Let me go to, maybe I should go to observations first. Observations is what you see and hear. So I told last week about a conflict I had with another leader outside of our church uh, in another environment, and I could give observations. I was invited to be a part of this event by you, and then later I was not invited to be a part of the event. So I observed that you told me one thing, but you did another. Now, I don't know what, I have to conclude what I think about it, but the observation is what I saw. Make sense? That's what observations. Thoughts are what we conclude, and I had concluded some different things about that. And just as a side note, if you say something, a lot of times people want to use feeling as a word to say the feeling, so they'll say, I'll feel like you don't care about any of this. Just to be clear, when you add like to feel, it's not a feeling. You get it? Because we all do it. I feel like you don't care. I shared my feelings. No, 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 no. You shared your thoughts. You called it a feeling, it was a thought. And we all do it. Your thoughts are your assessment of what's happening. And here's the part that what this does, these three things together create a story that you tell yourself. And the story you tell yourself is often way outside of what's going on, but it's the way you're drawing the lines together and concluding and it creates your perspective. It's really important we tell what story we are telling the other person or about them because the only way we get out of it is to let them know what we think that may or may not be true. Make no mistake, when you're in conflict, there's the actual conflict, but there's how you tell a story around it that informs what you want to have happen and what you perceive of all of it. You tracking that so far? Now, in the same way, there will be the other person, your perspective, And in any conflict, they will have exactly these same kinds of things. So they will have observations, thoughts, feelings, and they will have a story as well that they may or may not be telling them. So I wanted you to get a perception of all of this. And what we typically do is we see from our perspective what this conflict looks like. But what we don't see is what God wants. God wants to build shalom, and he wants to build mutual understanding. That's what he wants out of conflict for us. And I think oftentimes we don't realize that's what God wants. Remember, we're called to give a ministry of reconciliation. And very simply, what it means is we're to do everything we can to preserve the bond of peace. So we tell, this is how I perceive things. This is what I think would benefit us in this conflict. But as long as you can think about it as mutual help, and as bringing peace to the two of you, you can get somewhere that meets in the middle, that meets some kind of compromise, that meets some kind of help. Now, make no mistake, there will be things that are smaller that you don't have to resolve. Not everything you ever deal with. Some of you are going to go home and be like, we have 83 things to talk through. You're like, you know, some of these things you really have to let go. James talks about that where he says that the wonder it is to put a cover over a problem. We talk about the idea of bearing with each other. So you kind of have to decide what are those more important things. And then the next piece of this is, who does it matter more to? There are things that, in I'll just use our marriage as an example, that maybe matter more to Jane that I really don't care about. Is it really a big deal for me to go, let's do it the way you want? And the same way for her, things she doesn't care about that I do, and she goes, is it really a big deal? You get in the picture of this? 
But the reality is we learn to get to this place in the middle where we're saying we're about shalom and mutual understanding. Now, one thing I want you to realize is there are, not, there are power structures. So if you're in a job, you don't get to go to your employer and go, hey, you know, at church this weekend, it's about mutual understanding and shalom. So I don't agree with you. We need to come to the middle. They go, well, it's your job. You're gonna have to do what I tell you. Kids do this. Have you ever had that with kids? Kids do this like, well, if we disagree, how do we know you're not wrong? Why isn't my opinion any less valid than yours? And we typically start with the, because I'm the parent. Now I've learned that they don't seem to like that sometimes. So I take it another level to God ordained that I've been given authority over you. <laughs> For good or bad, you should pray that I don't use it poorly. But at the end of the day, sorry, I'm in charge. I want you to do understand this part of it, that there is authority in this. But I wanted you to get a picture for, I wonder what might happen if you and I decided our goal is to bring peace, our goal is to reconcile, and our understanding is all of how we've lived and loved before matters, how our current day is going affects us, our movement from sin to freedom matters, and how we connect all of these things of feelings and thoughts and observations and the stories inform how we engage together. And I thought, I, I can't give you one clear thing to do. It's not like it works itself out in one day. But maybe something in here you can start to grab onto. Maybe, you know what? I do have a lot of triggers. God, will you just start to show me those? You know what I've realized? In a conflict, I always want to be the one that wins. I can't really receive any feedback that's not positive about me. And I self-protect. You know, in a conflict, I usually don't make the other person feel very safe. Imagine what might happen if we moved in this direction. I love it. Paul, in, in his letter to the Romans, says these powerful words. Uh, in a place where they're even enemies to him, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's telling us that there's a goal we have to live peacefully with those around us, to live in a place of connection and relationship, not conflict and breakdown. But the simple truth is, peacemaking is found on the other side of conflict not avoiding it, not pretending it's not there, but working through it. I've been praying a lot for all of us as we've gone through the series. Uh, I have a lot of concerns as a pastor in our current culture. One of them is for the next generation. They're growing up virtually, and they don't even know how to have face-to-face -face interactions. And there's a lot of good things with it but they're living in the world that we're all living in now too, which is the way we have conflict is online, it's unfriendly, it's horrible, and we say things we'd never say to each other. I mean, can you imagine the things that people write if they had to stand and just read what they wrote to someone? I, I, I'm petrified because every time there's a large event, and it can be anything from locally to nationwide, there isn't just reporting of the event, there's the reporting of how everyone vomited out on social media afterwards and what the consensus was about the event. I, I want you to get a picture of what we're working against. And then in the same way as the church, we go, well, we have Jesus, and we suddenly think because we have Jesus, we know how to have conflict. But it's still work. It's still a work he has to do in us that we face our past and he redeems it and brings us to a new present and a new future. And it's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment change, not an instant easy thing for us. I love in a minute that we're gonna celebrate communion because we get to go to God afterwards and go, man, there's a lot to deal with today. Lord, will you just meet me? But before we do that, I wanna pray for us that God will meet us now.
Lord, I know that we've covered a lot today, and I don't know what you want to say to each person here, but I know you speak to them. So I'm praying whatever they need for today, you'd give them. I just pray movement, God. We know that we've been born into sin. We know that we carry our past into our present. And we know we live in the stress of today. But we are praying that the process of you making us new would continue. That we will be people of confession and people seeking your help. And Lord, I'm praying there will be new grace and new love given to each other today just from talking about this. So Lord, would you lead us to that end in your name? Amen.